Welcome to the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubbs. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Season 4 of the Performance Nutrition Podcast, connecting you with evidence-based insights from world-leading experts to take your nutrition game to the next level. Well, it's not exactly springtime, but spring is in the air. Baseball spring training has kicked off. Teams are hitting the fields in the cactus and grapefruit leagues. And of course, that signals the start of a new season is just around the corner. So it's an absolute pleasure today to be chatting with Dr. Mita Singh, MD, the Service Chief of Sleep Medicine and Section Head and Medical Director at the Henry Ford Sleep Center in Michigan. Dr. Singh is also a sleep consultant to numerous professional sports teams, most notably the World Series champion Washington Nationals. In this episode, Mita shares her philosophy on the application of sleep science and practice, how travel and the grind of a baseball season impact sleep, how fatigue accumulation impacts players, and whether it's possible to actually bank sleep. Dr. Singh talks athlete chronotypes, the Adderall prevalence in professional baseball, and a whole bunch more. Really, really fascinating talk here with Dr. Singh. Uh, I think you'll truly enjoy it and take home a lot of clinical pearls, a lot of practical pearls here for your clients or athletes. And of course, you can find the links and the podcast summary in the show notes at performancenutritionpodcast.com. If you're interested in more on sleep, we've had a ton of tremendous experts on the show, uh, some of whom are mentioned here by Dr. Singh. Uh, You can circle back to Season 1, Episode 4, Dr. Amy Bender. You can touch on Season 2, Episode 10 with Dr. Ian Dunikin talking about the impacts of caffeine on sleep in professional rugby players. Season 2, Episode 11 with Dr. Sherry Ma, Application of sleep, Sleep Science with professional athletes, and of course, Dr. Michele Listella, whom we discuss in this episode as well, Season 2, Episode 28, on Athlete Chronotypes. If you enjoyed this episode, as always, please share with your friends, colleagues, community, much, much appreciated. And of course, before we get things rolling, this episode is sponsored by my new book, Peak, the new science of athletic performance that is revolutionizing sports. Kyle Sammons, sports science coordinator for the University of Washington football, says peak is essential reading if you're looking to maximize human performance, a phenomenal resource for anyone passionate about performance. You can check out all the expert blurbs at drbubs.com forward slash peak. And of course, if you want to share some feedback, you can use the hashtag GoPeak on social media and be sure to tag me in at drbubs on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. All right, season four, episode five with Dr. Mita Singh. Enjoy. Mita, thanks so much for taking the time today. Thank you for having me, Mark. Terrific. Well, listen, I'm looking forward today to diving into sleep science, of course, as it relates to athletes and, and baseball in particular, you know, a sport that I'm you know, really fond of, grew up playing baseball, so this is definitely something that uh, has been on my radar for a while. But 
Before we jump into that conversation, I'd love to hear more about your background and perhaps you can share your journey to where you're at now with our listeners. Okay, of course. So I am a sleep medicine specialist. And uh, in addition to seeing sleep, uh, people who have sleep disorders, I have a niche practice advising and working with pro athletes and teams. And with a goal of sleep optimizing, optimization and seeing athletes who may have sleep disorders. Mm -hmm. So as for my background, I did my psychiatry residency at Mayo Clinic. And then I trained in sleep medicine. I did a fellowship at the Henry Ford Sleep Disorder Center. And I've been in clinical practice since then. And, you know, Henry Ford, the sleep disorder center has a research lab, which is um, really, it's pretty phenomenal. It's it's one of the top funded centers in the country. And the focus... Yep, and the focus is the study of normal and abnormal sleep processes, insomnia, shift work, um, you know, long-term effects of sleep medications, etc., on sleep. And I started working with athletes, uh, you know, it, it actually quite accidentally. I a few years ago, I on 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 radio, I heard some so-called sleep expert. Uh, talking to the local NFL team. And I know this the team doctor, he works in the same Henry Ford system. And I called him and I said, well, that's utter nonsense. And he said, well, <laughs> would, you like, would you like to come give us a presentation? That's terrific. And that's how I started. And, you know, it's a small world because once you start working in, I went from working with the NFL to the Major League Baseball. And then when you, you know, people change positions, they go to different teams. For sure. Uh, then you give a talk one place and somebody hears you and then they recommend you to work with different teams. And yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's incredible how serendipitous some of these uh, exchanges are, you know, just happening to listen to the radio on that particular day and, and getting that connection. And of course, obviously, being already an expert in, the, in that topic and being well positioned to be able to provide all that knowledge is tremendous. And, you know, when we talk about your work with athletes, you know, do you have a philosophy around how you like to support sleep in athletes? Yes, yes. I, you know, and thank you for that question. I, you know, it, not very many people ask me that question. So my main focus is always to begin with sleep education. And it's good to start by, uh, you know, whenever you go into a team, good to evaluate what sleep education they've already done and what they've implemented. Mm-hmm. And so... So the focus of the talk is broad sleep science, you know, talking about the effects of sleep deprivation on athletes as well as circadian science. And I feel I feel that having an educational presentation which is interactive and inclusive of the entire team with players asking questions is a great way um, to, to sort of brainstorm right in front of the team. You know, often, and that, that also um, includes, includes all the naysayers because you know yeah. because you can come up with solutions right and 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 i guess i'm you know speaking and talking at a time where teams already already are very interested in sleep science so they they want that presentation it's less but, convincing right they're already bought in right, to some degree right 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 so they want the science but they also want the practical how to and so so you know the education is important the second main area i like to focus on is jet lag and travel management and given their schedule it's something that has to be part of any sleep services and then and then of course you know when i work with teams i will sit one on one with athletes and um talk you know discuss individual sleep issues um 
I will say that my philosophy has changed over the last few years because I would find that if I, if when I would go in during spring training or any sort of training camp with any of the leagues, you know, that would still fall short because the season, season is so long and so arduous. So you really have to, you have to uh, sort of inspire and compel these athletes to implement or apply what they've learned by providing support all through the season, you know, Definitely. so that there's some, there's some, has to be some sort of accountability and encouragement and monitoring, like, like creating milestones so that they get to the end line, uh, because the season is such a marathon, especially in Major League Baseball. It is definitely a marathon. It's unbelievable. Uh, you know, growing up when I was a kid, you don't sort of put two and two together, and then as you get older, you realize, geez, these guys are playing 162 right. games in 180 days, and of course with playoffs and everything else. And you know, I really like that idea of having the milestones because. It is a marathon, and people, just as, as humans, we need sort of benchmarks, don't we, to keep us motivated? Yes. And as you mentioned, someone to sort of a coach to be mirroring you so that you can see some of the patterns that you might fall into, whether good or bad, um, right. is, is so key. And, you know, if we maybe zoom back out a little bit and, and, and talk sleep physiology, you know, we hear a lot of people of sleep is in the news a lot more now, and of course, a lot of the original research and athletes with Dr. Sherry Ma and uh -huh. Terrific sleep books out there. You know, in terms of you know non-REM versus REM sleep, where we talk about getting deep sleep. Obviously, we've got a lot of different trackers these days. People are asking these questions. Can you give us a quick review of of, of non-REM versus REM sleep, and and whether we should be focusing just on the deep sleep portion? Absolutely. But let me let me just before I start that, I want to just follow up with what you were just saying. You know, mm -hmm. I I always tell people that when you see that major league play baseball player on the field for three hours, you know, he has spent those 21 hours preparing for it. You know, it's, it's what they've done all along and you see them this for this small folk, you know, period of time, but that, you know, their schedules are, can be so arduous and you know, the, the work that they have to put in it, it, you know, and, and we'll talk more about their schedules as we go further. But yeah, it, they work it, weekends, right? <laughs> <laughs> they, work, yep, they don't get weekends yep. off. They work more than you and I do, for yeah. sure. <laughs> okay, so so let's you know coming back to your question about non-REM versus REM sleep. I think the the best place to begin with would be to start by defining sleep. So sleep is a normal physiological state in which there's perceptual disengagement from the environment and unresponsiveness to the environment. Now it's reversible which is not how we differentiated from coma, mm -hmm. right? Which is a pathological state that looks very similar to sleep, but we cannot wake people up from it. And, exactly. and although, yep, yep. And, and although if somebody is, when they are asleep, it looks very peaceful. It is in fact quite an active process in the sense that your brain waves are quite active. There are different neurochemicals in the brain being secreted at different times. So to answer your question, depending on what your brain waves look like, there are really two main stages of sleep. It's the rapid eye movement of sleep or the REM sleep and non-rapid eye movement or non-REM sleep. And these phases, each phase is equally important because there are different processes occurring in each stage. So, so typically when you and I, when most people normally fall asleep, we fall into sleep through light sleep, then we have some amount of deep sleep and then we have some amount of dream or REM sleep and then we wake up and that's a typical... Uh, 
rem, a sleep cycle. It's approximately 90 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so REM sleep is about 20 to 25% of your total sleep time, while non-REM sleep is 75 to 80%. And, and of course, non-REM sleep is very imaginatively, it's divided into stage one, stage two, stage three. Mm-hmm. And, and so, okay, so stage one is that very light sleep from which you can easily be woken up from. And, you know, you're preparing to fall asleep. Stage two is a stage in which your body is now preparing to enter into stage three or deep sleep. And so your heart rate, your blood pressure, your breathing, your body temperature, all are reduced. And, and in fact, that's about 50% of your total sleep time. And then there's deep sleep or delta sleep, which is about 20% of your total sleep time. Now, um, the, the functions really vary. So in your deep sleep, your muscles are fully relaxed. Your heart rate, your breathing is completely slowed down. It is more difficult to wake you up from deep sleep. Mm-hmm. And, if you, and when you wake up from that stage, you're more likely to be groggy. Yes. So, so yeah. So, so what deep sleep does is it's, it's the restorative part, portion of your sleep in which your blood pressure is lowered. It allows for regeneration, repair, your growth hormone is secreted, your memories are consolidated, and, and in fact, all unnecessary stuff, you know, memory stuff is pruned, and only the relevant information is stored. So, in fact, one good sign of, a, of good memory is, is how much you can actually forget in deep sleep. Interesting. So, yeah, so, so, and in dream sleep or REM sleep, REM sleep adds emotional context to your memories. So, you know, coming, so anything, any disorder that hampers the progression of stages of sleep, that it'll reduce the amount of deep sleep or dream sleep you have. So think about, you know, sleep apnea, certain movement disorders, medications, alcohol, uh, which disrupts REM sleep. If you drink caffeine too close to your bedtime, that'll hamper the progression into deep sleep. Mm-hmm. And, and especially, you know, if you think about athletes, uh, any sort of pain, aches and pains, uh, muscle aches, they can prevent deep sleep from ha- happening. Uh, pain medication will prevent progression of sleep. And uh, you know, things like external uh, noise or a warm uh, room temperature. And I think, I think you had a question in there about whether one stage of sleep was better than the other. Did you... Well, more just around the sort of the definitions. I mean, I know there's obviously the different functions of both, which, uh, you know, there's a great uh, explanation there for listeners as well of, of you know, of trimming that goes on in, in the non-REM sleep and then all the synergy that happens in the REM sleep and the emotion that comes with it, I think is such a big part. And, you know, you talked about the deep sleep being so key and, and you know, I've read that the REM sleep, the biggest chunk is is typically towards, you know, right before we wake up is sort of a bigger... Um, portion of that REM sleep you know is that something that and, and for that reason you know not getting enough sleep or waking up too early can start to compromise that is that is that true is that an accurate assessment yes I, I can tell you've done your homework well <laughs> <laughs> you're right so so yes so most of your deep sleep will occur within three to four hours of you going to sleep and most of your dream sleep which is um, which is modulated by your circadian rhythms happens mostly in the second half of the night and so so you know for somebody who goes to bed at 11 wakes up at 7 most of your 
deep sleep would have occurred before one in the morning and most of your dream sleep will occur between say three and seven in the morning and yes if you wake up too early then you are cutting short your dream sleep mm-hmm. and you know obviously we're talking about athletes but if we even take a little tangent to sort of Parents or parents with young children who are up frequently through the night, you know, for someone who's waking up two, three, four times a night, um, you know, what is that going to be doing to their sleep quality? Well, so obviously, you know, this is an external factor that's disrupting their sleep. So mm-hmm. their sleep quality will definitely be reduced. The, 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 the important thing to remember, though, is that, you know, there are some people who have difficulty going back to sleep okay and and then there are others who will readily fall asleep so if you're in that category of people uh, who has more difficulty falling asleep once their sleep has been stressed then you know then it's going to be even more difficult for you to get deeper to go into the deeper stages of sleep you know and and that's just something to keep in mind um, you know there is this phenomena mark that it's called sleep reactivity which basically means it's it's a trait that we have and you know and what it's what it means is that there's some some people when they are stressed out will develop a de- deterioration in their sleep while others won't mm-hmm. and so so for example so imagine if there were two rookies who were joining a team at the same time and there was one who had a higher sleep reactivity well that that rookie would be more likely would more likely develop sleep problems while the other one might have a few issues when they just start uh, off but then that they'll settle down yeah it's interesting i was going to circle back to the athlete side of things and talk about that idea of obviously various things keep people up whilst they're um, on the road and traveling um, and so it's interesting to see that there's you know, a genetic component here where some people can just get back to bed more easily whilst others can, can struggle to stay up. In your experience, you know, what are some of the other sort of common sleep challenges that you would see in athletes, baseball players in particular? Well, so I think a good place to begin for your audience would be to describe what a typical baseball schedule during the season looks like because then the sleep challenges become quite obvious. So like, we, like you were just saying, you know, the regular season runs from, say, late March, early April to late September, early October. And that's 162 games, followed by a postseason, which you want to go to. <laughs> yeah, and that's that, a good and which, thing. You guys yep. did quite well this year. World, yes, Series, <laughs> World Series champions. Congratulations. Yep, yep. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. So, which can, so the postseason can run into the early November. It's an additional 20 games games now because of the sheer number of games they play and you know the games have to be played on several consecutive days so in the same ballpark so typically it's three four games and then they pack up they fly to the next destination that night after they finish that game and then because they may have a game the next day mm-hmm. and and so that's number one the second thing that is unique to major league baseball is that they may have day games that begin at noon or one, alternating with night games that begin after like 6 p.m. And therefore, uh, and so so on some nights, you know, they have to wake up three or four hours earlier than their regular wake up time. And of course, sometimes they do have double hitters because of poor weather and because of rain delays. Yeah, making up games, yeah. Yep, yep. And then, and, and, and I, I'm sure you've noticed that in the last few seasons, 
they've added overseas games to yes. Asia and yes. London. Japan, and so, London, yes. Yep, uh, yep. so there's tremendous. jet lag associated with that. And and they, so, you know, you're talking about, you know, they, yeah, they do work through the weekend. And so they have one day off every 10 games or so. And, and sometimes they can choose to travel on those days. Um, and other days there can be some rules about that. So, so now with that background, the first major cha- sleep challenge, of course, is cumulative fatigue mm-hmm. during the season due to cumulative effects of sleep deprivation. And then the second is that they can be jet lagged when they're crossing time zones. And in fact, in fact, there can also be circadian misalignment that comes from alternating day games with night games. Because this entire team, like I just said, now wakes up, you know, typically they should, uh, you know, uh, uh, for night games, the team will go to bed at about one or two in the morning, will breakfast around noon. But then, uh, you know, if they have a day game the next day, they have to wake up at seven or two in the morning or eight in the morning to be at the ballpark. And of course, uh, you know, there are a lot of players who have uh, sleep disorders or may have insomnia or difficulty initiating or maintaining sleep. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's where that sleep reactivity that we were talking about becomes relevant because these are the players who, um, you know, they have a predisposition to develop sleep issues. Definitely. And, and Mita, when we talk about those, that cumulative, cumulative sleep debt that occurs yep. over the course of a season, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sure practitioners can even relate to that, you know, strength coaches, therapists, doctors working long hours, it sort of starts to accumulate over a year. You know, what are some strategies or what are some things that are top of mind for you in terms of being able to, to drip feed or layer those in with the team over the course of the year? Well, so the, the key point is to not let fatigue accumulate. Mm-hmm. And given the irregularity of their schedule and given the fact that, that the schedule is so long, they have to use very simple principles of banking sleep when they can. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we can talk about banking later, but yep. basically it means, you know, getting enough sleep when they have a chance. And in my opinion, when you have a, a stretch of night games, when you're at home, you're doing home stands, that's a good time to get enough sleep. You know, uh, makes uh, sense, right? Your own bed, yeah, your own home, right, you feel comfortable. Right. right. Although, although I'll tell you, Mark, a lot of players sleep better on the road because they have <laughs> young families at home. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so because they have distractions. The second, so so it's it's all a matter of, you know, banking sleep when you can, playing okay. catch ca- playing catch up once you're done with the travel. So you know you know you're going to get less sleep. Well, then now you have to make up for it, and then and and so that you're prepared for the next obstacle, so to speak. You know, so you are always so you you always have to be you have to prepare for your sleep like you would prepare for training or diet. Then you get it done. And if you wanted to monitor it, you could you could do that. But you have to do that on a regular basis. I would say daily basis till the end of the season. Terrific. And you know you mentioned as well the times of days. And you know last season I had uh, Michele Estella, a researcher from Australia, on talking about cro- chronotypes and athlete chronotypes. And I was interested when he mentioned a study around batting averages and sort of the morning larks versus the night owls and as you mentioned there's day games in baseball and of course these morning right. larks um had a better batting average in the day games yeah. which you know wasn't the, the biggest study but it is interesting isn't it the, the the chronotypes and circadian rhythms can you touch a bit on as well yes. how, you know 
how big an impact yes. that can have between those day, especially that Tuesday night game followed by the Wednesday afternoon game. You know, obviously a very short turnaround there. Is that something that you you're just doing your best to take the edge off? Is there strategies that can be put in place for players in situations like that? Well, so for, I I know Michaela really well. We we were on a panel together. Oh, terrific. Um, at the, yeah, on the World Sleep meeting. This was in Vancouver earlier in September this year. But uh, so so for your audience, a chronotype is basically diurnal preference. So it it defines the time at which one feels his or her best and. You know, your audience members might instinctively know this as e- if they're either night owls or morning larks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, there, there is an intermediate, right? And and so, uh, th- so there are two reasons why chronotypes would be important. Number one is because, uh, because peak perf- athletic performance, uh, there, is a cert- there is a time during the day when it tends to peak. And so if you're... If you're a morning person, your peak performance will occur earlier during the day. If you're a night owl, it'll occur later during the day. And ideally, ideally, you'd want all the players on the team to peak together. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you'd, want that, you'd want that peak performance to occur at game time. Right? So, 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 there, yep, so there are these different you know, moving paths. But, but uh, you know, so it's not just... Uh, the, well, so let me back up and finish what I'm saying here first. So, so uh, this is really interesting because uh, because of that study which you were talking about. That, you know, pitchers who are morning larks pitched better during day games, mm-hmm. and and so what? This is something that I do with individual athletes. We use strategic light exposure and avoidance, and scheduled sleep times and bedtimes, with the goal that you can shift your circadian rhythms so that it can align to your game times. I mean, you know, so that's how basically it's done. You really don't need any medication. It's all a matter of of sleep times and uh, light exposure. And that, yeah. Yeah, that's terrific. And I was going to to ask as well, you know, today across all sports, we see younger and younger athletes making it to the professional ranks. You know, previously you'd be in your early 20s before you – made it to the NBA or to Major League Baseball, and now we see 19-year-olds, you know, much more prevalently 20-year-olds. And, you know, I know that adolescents have a sort of a delayed, um, Uh more of that night owl chronotype. And so, you know, with the early morning starts for a lot of these teams, you know, I know some changes have been made for certain teams in spring training with the start times and whatnot. Can you comment on that and how that could impact, you know, a younger athlete versus, say, a 32-year-old baseball player? Absolutely. So you're absolutely absolutely right. So the first thing is that, yes, younger athletes have a tendency to be more of night owls. Um, as you get older, actually, you become that becomes less obvious. So they're more likely to be morning people. And um, I would say that overall, my advice to all teams is delay coming into the ballpark as much as you possibly can <laughs> nice. on all occasions. I mean, that, that advice, you know, it, you know we're, we're joking about it, but that really is uh, important. It's massive and over I, the course of a season, isn't it? Eight months of right, playing, I mean, that adds right, up. Right, and, and, and here's another thing that, uh, you know, people, outsiders may not be aware of, but younger rookie players or younger players often come in earlier because they feel, you know, they want to be there. 
they want to show how committed they are and um, and they're often there before the vet veteran players are in mm -hmm. and so that that itself is an education when you talk to them and you encourage them to actually sleep in and come in later and one of the times I remember I, I talked to uh, you know we talked about moving the time that breakfast becomes available to later so that they don't because oftentimes they're coming there. the direction you're after. Right, 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 right. So, so it's it's simple things, just you know, like that. Now, uh, the the difficulty in spring training, like you pointed out, is that a lot of games are day games. You know, that's just the way spring training is. Yeah, uh, classically done, right? It's right, family right. atmosphere, daytime, right. sunny out, right. and. Right, and then and then they go from being you know day shift workers to night, to shift, night shift workers. Night shift workers, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And so, right, right. So you you know you have to pick and choose and tell them, you know, pick and choose the uh, the how they can how how long they can sleep until, and how they should maybe strategically take a nap. You don't want them to nap maybe after the game if they've had a day game because then they go to bed really late that night. So it's. It's a different strategy during spring training, and again, it's different during actual season. And, and there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, that's just the way it's, the games are set up. And has that become more of an area of focus then for teams to sort of now that they're cognizant that that's a you know potential pitfall to even starting the year that um, you know more strategies in place to try to ease that transition, or is it sort of you know like ripping a bandaid off? They just have to <laughs> they just have to get used to the new time as quickly as they can. No, I, I think you're you're right that it has become a strategy, and I and it, the way I approach it is that I, I explain to them what I want them to do, and then you know once you give them the education, then bringing that change in behavior becomes easier because mm -hmm. now they have a you know now they know they're not being lazy or they're not going to be perceived as being lazy if they choose to come in later. Good and, point. And then. And then the other thing also is that you have to take into account people's chronotypes. So when, uh, when, when, you, when you give them education as an entire team and then work on them with them one-on-one, -on -one, then, then, then they can make that strategy their own. So it may, be, it may be better for somebody to drive in at about 9 or 10 in the morning and then work out there, while it may be better for another player to come in at about 10 or 11. Again, it has to be it has to be individual, and when when people start individualizing what they can do with the blessing of their coach, then you know you've then you know that things are going to work because now now they have some ownership of what they're doing. It's fascinating, isn't it? I'm sure a lot of um, players from generations past are shaking their heads here a little bit because they probably wanted to come in later or earlier, and, and you know couldn't do so because everyone had to be on the same schedule and you know as you mentioned if you can really individualize these things it can really potentially be a real game changer in terms of outcomes and i know the players yeah. are always looking to mine those marginal gains and and stimulants like you know like caffeine etc are used by players and things like adderall as well you know prescription well, medication I for for adhd i think it affects about four four and a half percent of the population and of course you know, Major League Baseball, I think about one out of 10%. ten players, yeah, ten percent are are granted yeah. an exemption. And you know, Dr. Doug Richards at uh, University of Toronto uh -huh. you know, has written some on that. And so I was wondering, you know, for yourself in terms of maybe we start with you know a player who needs to take this medication. 
you know, justly needs to take it is there, you know, what are the impacts on sleep and how could you help to, to mitigate that? Okay, so, so first of all, you know, that comment you just made that the old timers are, are probably wondering uh, if they could have come in late. I don't think so because most people were taking greenies, you know, <laughs> oh, it, it, yeah. you know, and I'll tell you, old timers will say that they miss the greenies more than they miss the steroids. Interesting. And, 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 and so, so first of all, some background again for your audience. So Adderall is a long acting amphetamine and it's approved for ADHD. Uh, and, and so it was, of course, amphetamines were once super common in baseball. They're mm -hmm. called greenies. Yep. Right, and the, I think the legend is that there were players who served on in World War II who brought them back with them, and then of course they were passed casually for decades. You could find them in bowls like candy. Yeah. But right, and, and and you know there may be some some element of truth because they were used by pilots in the war. So absolutely, uh, yeah. So you, you know you never know. So so well they were banned in 2006, and now the only legitimate way. A player can get them is if they carry a diagnosis of ADHD and and of course there's that debate that you just mentioned that whether the diagnosis is legit or not and again you know the topic of course needs a very nuanced approach because of course there are athletes who truly have ADHD absolutely right and, and on the other hand of course the thought is that players know it helps them with focus with alertness some people will say it helps them to be in the moment, you know, it helps them get mm -hmm. into flow so they know it's performance enhancing. So, it's a difficult you know, terrain to navigate, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes, it is. And, 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 you know, that question you had about, uh, maybe we should go backwards because we should explore what it does it to, your, to sleep. Mm -hmm. and, and I would say that there are three things that happen. First of all, they're allowed to take the long-acting dosage only because for some reason um, the belief is that the league felt that long-acting amphetamines were not performance enhancing. Okay. Now, I'll tell you that all players, or I, I guess I, I should say most players because I haven't met all players, but, <laughs> but most players take it just before the game Yeah. because, because they... They know it helps them focus. And when do when during the day do they need the most focus, Mark? They need they it. Show up at the ballpark and get ready to exactly. play, right? Exactly. Yeah. They need it when they're going to step out and play. And so, obviously, if it's long-acting, it's still in their systems when they're trying to fall asleep. So, it definitely contributes to insomnia, which is difficulty initiating or maintaining sleep at night. Mm -hmm. The second thing I that that is concerning is that it contributes to anxiety and you know it your heart rate goes up you know it, the symptoms from the side effects are similar to what you would have if you were anxious and your brain sometimes can't differentiate between the two so you know it there's some studies that it contributes to anger outbursts and anxiety and mm -hmm. you know mental health is an issue with all all leagues league players right now yeah, and population as well right yeah exactly and then and then finally you know, there is, and this is where sometimes, um, you know, players don't realize that there is a symptomatic overlap between ADHD symptoms and sleep restrictions. So if you don't, if you're sleep deprived, you're going to find it difficult to pay attention, to focus, to concentrate, 
and and that is also the key symptom of ADHD. Yeah, it's a bit of a chicken or the egg, isn't it? Right, the... right, 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 right. So and and so the presence of sleep restriction will itself aggravate ADHD symptoms. And and if if the ADHD symptoms get worse, then typically people up the dose of the stimulant, but then that stimulant will uh, will uh, mess with the much needed sleep that night. And so this it's like a vicious cycle. Yeah, I can definitely, you know, see players kind of circling the drain, you know, just going in that sort of downward spiral between this yeah, lack of sleep and requirement for more medication. Um, right. You know, it's a, it's a tricky one to navigate. And, you know, I imagine today, obviously, if, you know, when I grew up, we didn't have phones that weren't right. attached to the wall. Um, but now we have a generation of people who are kids who are used to having a phone next to their bed every night. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, something for us at Canada Basketball that we're cognizant of and always trying to, as you mentioned, you know, sort of educate and, of course, nudge with certain behaviors. But I'd love to hear your take on, you know, the impact on athletes, the impact in baseball, and, and, and what are some tips or strategies that you use in baseball to help offset that? So, you know, when the one thing I have to tell you is that we have now have a generation of players who have never slept without a phone in their hands. It's incredible, isn't it? Yes, yes, because this is all. This is what they have always known that they have to go to bed, and there's the the phone in their hand, and the fact that they are always, you know, they're trying to, um, they're they're playing video games, you know, they do everything, whatever they're doing to relax. It's done on an electronic device. Mm -hmm. Most times, it's a handheld device. It's interactive, and uh, you know, I. The key thing to remember is that that using those devices is a distraction, and it's not true relaxation. Mm-hmm. And and that players have to build a winding down schedule. They have to, you know, it's like if a car is going really fast, it's it's going to take. You have to keep the distance between the car in front uh, more because it's going to take you longer to brake. Similarly, the the faster you've been going the more you need to do to relax and unwind before you can actually fall asleep. That's a great metaphor. And, and, and typically, Mark, that, that winding down, which, is, which occurs in the last 45 minutes or an hour before their bedtime, shouldn't, should not include electronics. You know, it, it should include relaxation. It could, it could include reading a book. Mm-hmm. It could include listening to a podcast. I would say something dull and boring, not yours. <laughs> nice. And, you know, if you're looking to kind of make the best of the worst decisions, you know, for someone who's rather than watching someone on a show or, a, you know, Netflix on their on their device or tablet, is watching on a television set further away going to be, you know, a better, worse option, so to speak? Yes, I mean, you know, there is, there is a lot of research. And, again, it, you know, it goes either ways. It talks about how... Blue light uh, from these uh, from the handheld devices will disrupt your sleep, and some you know, and, and there is a lot of variation. So something as less than as thirty lux is enough to disrupt to suppress your melatonin. While mm. uh, you know, some people need more. But uh, it, to me, it, you know, if if it delays your bedtime by even fifteen minutes, and in those fifteen minutes you can get frustrated and get you know get even more anxious about not falling asleep and it you know snowballs then then 
you know, it's directly contributing to the issues you're having falling asleep. And that seems to be a tricky one these days of just, as you mentioned, young people being so used to having their phone that even not having the phone, which is obviously bad for their sleep, but not having the phone can create a state of anxiety. And so it's it's almost, it it takes a real period of adjustment, doesn't it? To sort of coach them out of their behavior, doesn't it? Yes. And, and I, that is the single most difficult thing when it comes to speaking with younger players is keeping, putting their phones in another room. And I, you know, I, I, I'll tell people that it's, it's better to be, uh, it's easier to be safe than to be strong, which basically, you know, it's, uh, if you have it in another room, you're less likely to check it rather than having it next to your bed and saying, well, I'm going to be strong and I'm not going to look at it at all because that is not to work. It's tough, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, the willpower game is a tough one. Right. Terrific. Well, listen. I mean, as a, you're not only a sleep scientist, as we were talking before, you're you're a mother, uh, parent. We talked about you know the lack of sleep that can accrue over months, years, even. Um, and a, a discussion that I found fascinating was um, Dr. Amy Bender, who's a sleep scientist out in the uh-huh. west coast of Canada. Um, I know her well. Yeah, I, I imagine you do. And she'd commented, I suppose, in, in Matthew Walker's book, his terrific book, uh-huh. uh, he makes a comment around how it's you can't catch up on sleep or, you know, you can't, once sleep is lost, we can't regain it. And she had sort of touched on sort of an evolutionary side of, well, you know, having children and throughout evolution, you know, surely there was periods of, of reduced sleep. Um, so maybe this comes back to the question around banking sleep, but I'm, I'm not uh-huh. sure, you know, what side of the fence you, you sit on that one or if you could uh, provide any insights for listeners there. Well, so uh, again, this is a nuanced sub- subject, but it, I mean, I, I, let's make it really simple. So yes, you can't really consume more sleep than your sleep need. Mm-hmm. So you can't really bank sleep like you would put, you know, you, uh, w- you know, that concept of banking in which you put extra money away. In the account, right? Yeah. Right, right. You can't do that. But, but, well, so there is research that shows that that uh, it, what they did is that they took subjects and they extended their time in bed for a week, and that made them more resilient to the subsequent sleep deprivation that they put them through. Mm-hmm. And so, right, so, so and, and in, a, in addition, in that research, they showed that there was faster recovery of, you know, several neurobehavioral um, uh, variables that they were measuring in those subjects who had obtained excessive sleep prior to sleep restriction. So, uh, so although we just said it's impossible to consume more than your sleep need, and so banking is not in the true sense but since most people have some amount of sleep deprivation, it's basically a concept of catching up prior to, you know, making sure you get enough sleep prior to when you know you'll be sleep deprived. I'll give you an example. Hold on. So, so, for example, if I knew I was going to be on call starting Monday and I knew that, you know, Monday and Tuesday I would get less sleep, the worst thing I could do to myself would be to get less sleep over the weekend. Instead, instead, I'd be better off you know, playing catch up, sleeping in, banking sleep. So, you know, getting enough sleep because that would make it more, it would it would make it easier for me to tolerate that sleep deprivation, which I knew was going to come. And so, so I think that if you think about sleep banking in those terms, then, then it works. 
and this is what you know this is like a full cycle this is what we were talking about how that is the only way that major league baseball players can approach their season they have to look at it as opportunities when you can get enough sleep to make sure you know that's where the discipline comes in that's where the education matters they get enough sleep when they can because they know they're going to get less sleep and then they play catch up you know then they play they sleep in they sleep longer and you know you you could call it playing catch up you could call it banking it for the next opportunity the ne- next sleep deprivation that's going to come up yeah fantastic fantastic point i mean that's definitely when you have those periods that you know you're going to be missing total sleep mm-hmm. time or whatnot yeah being able to extend the sleep and being in a position where you can you can offset that or not succumb to those consequences is such a great tip for what you know athletes practitioners <laughs> moms dads know, anybody yes, traveling I, yeah. you know i mean it's such a great uh especially those ones where as you know people on the weekends have social commitments and then monday morning they're off on a flight or you know different time zones and so i think that's one where where people can can make a lot of uh get a lot of benefit from that right Amida, if I can, oh yeah, jump I, in. Know, yeah, I, I tell people, you know, especially when it comes to jet lag, I tell them that the one, the one thing that I want you to do is to get onto that plane well rested. If you can do that, you know, because otherwise, you know, you're going to be, you know, you're going to get jet lag. You know, there's going to be sleep deprivation. Don't start out in a hole. You know, fill that pot of sleep before you get onto that plane. Yeah, great advice. Uh, I mean, I really appreciate you carving out some time. I want to respect your time here today. And, you know, so my last question for you is when we talk about sleep research and performance and, and athletics and, and of course, uh, baseball, you know, where is the research going in the next five or ten years? Where will the next gains, do you think, be made on the sleep front? Well, um before I get to that, might I just circle back to your question about sleep philosophy? It's just something oh, absolutely. I, I just yeah, thought let's, of. Let's go right back to it, for sure. Right. So because sleep issues are complex, they need a nuanced approach. And again, the solution, like I said, is education. You know, it's spending time with the players, getting detailed sleep-wake histories, and then developing personalized winding down routines. And it, it begins, it's always important to identify athletes who have those issues and you know using maybe sleep questionnaires and I wanted to bring it up because Amy Bender and Charles Samuel they've developed this questionnaire called the athletic sleep screening questionnaire yeah yeah and so uh, you know the other thing is that I I think that the you know coming back to your next question about you know where this the research is going I think and I hope that the focus will be in more on a, f- a focus on mental health and its relationship with sleep health, and and I hope that uh, that we can uh, you know we can provide a framework to team physician and ath- athletic trainers so that they know they know when to refer these players mm-hmm. to team physicians. And I'll say one last thing. You know, I uh, one thing I which I should have mentioned in my philosophy is that although we are dealing with really complex issues, making the messaging as simple as possible so it's easy to follow absolutely is, is really key because otherwise you're going to lose them. Yeah, it can be complex on the back end, but the messaging to the athlete or to the client's got to be quite absolutely. straightforward, doesn't it, and direct and simple. Yes. Yes, you said that right. 
Tremendous. I mean, listen, this is, I could ask you questions all day. <laughs> this has been, uh, this has been fantastic. I think, you know, as you mentioned, going forward around the mental health piece is really fascinating because we're obviously seeing in, in throughout sport uh, concerns with mental health and, of course, throughout the general population as well. So look forward to, uh, to staying on top of that. And, you know, for people listening in, where can they keep in touch with you and, and keep up with all your fantastic work? So I am on LinkedIn, Mita Singh. Um, and then I do have a website. It's mitasingmd.com. And I'm on Twitter. My Twitter handle is athletesleepmd1. And I always, um, I always respond to questions. So if anybody has a question, feel free to reach out. Fantastic. Well, we'll definitely include all those links in the show notes. And uh, Mita, again, thanks so much for taking the time today. Hey, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Performance Nutrition Podcast. Once again, you can find all the links and the expanded podcast summaries at performancenutritionpodcast.com. And lastly, a big thank you to everyone who picked up a copy of my recently released book, Peak. I got so many fantastic messages from athletes, coaches, nutritionists, sports scientists, really overwhelming to have played a small role in, in inspiring and connecting folks with experts to really help continue their journey. So massive, massive thank you to everyone. Thank you for the, the notes and the comments. Keep those coming in. Greatly appreciated. Uh, we did also crack the top 1% of all books sold on Audible. So if you picked up a copy, thank you again. And of course, if you didn't, well, maybe you can help jump on board and see if we can crack the top 100 books on Audible here in 2020. Awesome. To wrap up, if you have any questions or want to leave a comment on today's episode, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Dr. Bubs, or you can shout out to us on the new Instagram handle for the podcast, which is at PN underscore podcast on Instagram. That's PN underscore podcast. Thanks again and see everyone next week. The Dr. Bubs Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bubs Performance Podcasts.